Welcome to another life-impacting message from City Light Church, North Adelaide. You can find more great things like this at citylight.church slash North Adelaide. All right, Exodus 20, 8 through 12. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You are to labor six days and do all of your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You must not do any work. You, your son or daughter, your male or female servants, your livestock or the resident alien who is within your city gates. For the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and everything in them in six days. Then he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and declared it holy. Honor your father and your mother so that you may have a long life in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. So moving on to the second uh, Bible reading, which is in Mark uh, chapter 2. So that's Mark chapter 2, and we're reading 23 through 28. On the Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and his disciples began to make their way, picking some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? He said to them, Have you read what David and those who were with him did when they were in need and hungry? How he entered the house of God in the time of Abathar the high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for anyone to eat except the priest? And then he also gave them to his companions. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So then the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Amen. Well, good morning. Uh, Please keep Exodus chapter 20 open in front of you. Uh, Let's pray as we come to look together this morning at the fourth commandment. Let's pray. Uh, The Lord Jesus said, What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose their soul? Uh, Father, we thank you for your timeless word and the truth that you speak to us today. Uh, We recognise we're not in the promised land of Canaan. Uh, Lord, we we don't have slaves and oxen and donkeys. Uh, So, Father, help us to understand your word today and then to live it out, uh, to obey you in your word this day and every day until we see you and enjoy you forever. Lord, we ask this for our good, uh, for the good of our neighbours and ultimately for your honour and for your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, how are you? How are you? Um, That's probably the default kind of greeting that we use when we bump into someone down the street. I don't know, on O'Connell Street or wherever we might bump into someone in Adelaide. How are you? Hi, how are you? And the classic responses to that that we give when someone says that to us are what? I don't know, I can't really ask you that, sort of given that I'm on camera and you're in your lounge room, but I would normally do that. I'd say, give us some answers. What would you say when someone says, how are you? I'm thinking the top three or four responses to how are you are good, fine, tired, busy, something like that, you know, good, tired, fine, busy. I reckon that's what you would do. How are you? Yeah, fine. Um, You know, now leave me alone and let me get on with my life. Or if you're from the Italian job, you'd say fine, freaked out, insecure, neurotic and emotional. Um, Fine, just leave me alone. Um, Maybe, you know, how how are you? You go, yeah, I'm I'm tired and I'm I'm so busy. Um, I think they're the common ones, I think, that we do in response to that. Wonderfully, today we come to the fourth commandment, and for many of us, well, I mean, there'll probably be heaps of different things we can learn from this word today as we work through the Bible and think about rest and Sabbath, but I think for many of us, we need to hear it today in quite a simple way, which is take a day off. Take a day 
off. It's not the primary application of the text when you get to the New Testament, but it might be something that you just need to hear today, even if it's a secondary one. Um, Over the last few years, there's been an extraordinary increase in mental health-related illnesses, particularly in the city. city. Uh, That doesn't obviously exclude the regional or rural parts of Australia, but particularly in the city. And our federal government is pouring ever and ever increasing amounts of money into um, funding programs and supporting mental health-related charities um, because they realise that people need help with their mental health and their well-being. They realise that too many of us are stressed out and totally exhausted. We have a problem I read an article in The Guardian a little while ago uh, with a specialist doctor. His name's Dr Littman. It was like an interview article. They asked a question, he responded, and they created that into an article. Uh, This guy, Dr Littman, he works as a specialist doctor in the areas of stress and exhaustion. The article was titled, Millions of People at the End of Their Tether. So they interviewed this doctor and he said, I've come up with a new term. I see hundreds of people every year suffering from exhaustion and burnout and and suffering from tiredness and stress. I've come up with a new term and here's the new term. I now use they're spent. Doesn't sound very medical, does it? They're spent. They're just exhausted. His observation, quote, if you put a human being in a modern city, add computers, mobile phones, credit cards, neon lights, 24-hour shopping, what do you expect? We are spent exhausted because our modern lifestyle has removed us from nature, we've become divorced from its rhythms and cycles, end quote. The interviewer then asked Dr Littman, what is our modern lifestyle? To which he answers, we're slaves. Slaves to what, the interviewer asked. Quote, we are slaves to work and the relentless consumption of media. We are an enslaved culture and that's why people are spent. They're secular realities, secular observations. Now, there are all kinds of modern attempts, right, to solve this problem of stress and exhaustion and and mental illness related to stress and exhaustion. What are we going to do? Well, one thing you could do, right, is go back a few thousand years to Exodus chapter 20 or to Deuteronomy chapter 5 to the Ten Commandments where God says, work six days a week and have one day where you don't work. Brilliant. How about that? Revolutionary. You know what? It was revolutionary back then. Maybe it's revolutionary today. If you're joining us, welcome to Online Church and and City Light Church North Adelaide. Um, Two of these to go. We're we're in the, the groove of looking at the Ten Commandments, or better, the Ten Words, these words that were given to Israel as God's rescued, chosen people, brought out of slavery in Egypt to be God's chosen people and to represent him in the world. We've called our series The Good Life because that's the intention behind these instructions of God. They're commands, but they're broad. They're rules to keep us free, help us live well, help us to thrive and flourish, living for God and enjoying him ultimately forever. And this fourth commandment is really, really, really liberating. Um, Have a look, Exodus chapter 20 and verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labour and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord, your God. 
On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, your manservant or maidservant, your animals, nor the alien, the foreigner within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the sea, the earth and the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Just really quickly, the word Sabbath there, you'll see it in in verse 8, is in the Hebrew, it's Shabbat, just means stop, rest, cease. And the word holy there, keeping it holy, means keep it different, uh, distinct, separate. Well, I want to tackle this commandment, commandment number four. I'll do it inadequately, just right up front. But I want to tackle it under five headings, um, all starting with P, a classic pastor's kind of tactic here. It's a sermon on rest, and you say, whoa, five points. You're going to have to do a bit of hard work today. We're going to work this together. Now, I want you to tell you as well, five points. Um, The first point's the longest. The next one, it kind of goes down in a funnel. They'll kind of get shorter as we go, so hang in there with me. Um, But here they are. We're going to think about the Sabbath together, five points starting with P. We're first going to think about the Sabbath as a pattern. We're then going to think about the Sabbath as a pledge. Think about the Sabbath as a place. Sabbath, fourthly, as a person. Sabbath, fifthly, as a promise. Okay? Pattern, pledge, place, person, promise. You got them. All right. And we're going to consider the practical wisdom and implications kind of as we go along. So firstly, the Sabbath as a pattern. The very obvious thing to note about this commandment is that the Sabbath reflects a pattern that goes right back to the beginning, way back to creation. So have a look, Exodus chapter 20 and verse 11. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. In other words, right, this regulation that Moses gives to the Israelites, God's chosen people, reflects a pattern that's woven into creation itself. Now, whether or not that means we need to practice the precise regulations that apply to God's original people, and they also apply to us, that's another question which we'll think about in a little while. But at the very least, observe this. All work and no play makes Jack a dull boy and Jill Because Jack and Jill, Adam and Eve, not just the Jews, but all human beings, we have all been made in the image and likeness of God. And there is nothing dull about the God who has made us in his image and this world. The God who made this world knows how to stop work and rest. And we're told that there's a a rhythm, this rhythm of work and rest is woven into creation. A pattern of life that goes way back to the beginning of creation itself. Six days you shall labour, you shall work, and on the seventh day cease, rest. And regardless of the specific Sabbath regulations that the law kind of details for us that are applied to the Israelites, this is something for everyone, I think. For every human being made in the image of God. Six days work, one day rest. And to try to defy that rhythm of work and rest is, I think, to to cut against the grain of creation. And people, right, people historically have tried to do this, right? They've tried to defy this kind of creation, work, rest kind of ethic. So go back to the French Revolution. They tried to get rid of Sunday. It lasted, I think, about 10 or 12 years, and then they went back to 6 and 1. A hundred years later, the Russian Revolution, uh, they tried to introduce a 10-day week 
They realised that across the course, I think they tried that for about 12 years, they realised that productivity just went down so bad because humans can't work that long without rest. And even as late as the 1960s, the Sri Lankan government tried to change it all up. They realised it had similar results. Lack of productivity, they've gone back to six and one. You see, productivity is best when we work six and rest one. And that shouldn't surprise us because God has designed us in his image. The concept of Sabbath, rest, isn't some arbitrary arrangement between Yahweh and his people, you know, or that God's just plucked it out of somewhere just for the fun of it. It goes right back to the beginning of time and has to do with how God has made this world and how he has made us in his likeness. And as important And as valuable as work is, we weren't made to work full-time. In fact, it's ungodly not to rest. Six days work, one day rest. And I don't think that, I think that means, it's not like grab an hour of rest here, grab an hour of rest there. I think it's it's a day, stop, cease. Before we go any further, right, let's let's get a little bit practical. Um, Some of you guys need to take more rest. Some of you need to work a little harder. Right? That's a sermon for another day, perhaps. Um, but I'm guessing that most of us need to take a bit more rest. That's probably the big problem in our culture. One professor of rheumatology at Leeds University in the UK puts it like this. The epitaph of the 21st century person reads this. Hurry, worry, bury. The pace of modern life is a killer. And to some extent, right, we, can, we could blame capitalism, for our overwork. Uh, We could blame social media and our insatiable appetite for information. We can blame FOMO, our fear of missing out, for our overwork. But here is our maker in his word addressing us, his people, made in his image, from our instruction manual, remember to rest. You're fooling yourself. I'm fooling myself if we think we can get by without rest. Not only are we fooling ourselves, we're probably damaging ourselves, we're probably damaging the people who, who love us the most and we live amongst, we're probably damaging our families, our friends, our colleagues, it's impacting society. We need to rest, you need to rest. You ask the question, right, what is rest? Well, it's pretty difficult to legislate, right? Probably rest means doing things you don't normally do, things that bring you life. Um, Mark Buchanan, in his really excellent book, I can highly recommend it, called The Rest of God, The Rest of God, Mark Buchanan, says that the golden rule for Sabbath is to cease from what is necessary and embrace those things that give life. Um, So he writes in his book, quote, Sabbath is a reprieve from doing what you ought to do. Even though the list of oughts is infinitely long and never done, oughts are tyrants, noisy and surly, chronically dissatisfied. Sabbath is the day you trade places with them. They go into the salt mine and you go out dancing. You get to willfully ignore the many niggling things your existence genuinely depends on and is often hobbled beneath. So that you can turn to whatever you've put off and pushed away for lack of time, lack of room, lack of breath. You get to shuck the have-tos and lay hold of the get-tos. Isn't that great? So what brings you life? What brings you life? 
What are those things that you really want to get to but you can't because you've got so many have-tos? For me, right, I love cycling through the Adelaide Hills on a freezing cold morning getting drenched. I love it. It brings me life. And you're going, that doesn't sound like life-giving at all. But that's what I love to do. I love spending time at the beach, come rain, hail or shine. I love it. I love getting sand between my toes. And now you're going, I hate that feeling. I love it. I don't know. People I know, like they love going fishing. That brings them life. And I don't know, if... Probably not the best thing to do. Like if you're a fisherman, probably find something else to do. Not many fishermen that I know out in, um, in City Light Church, North Adelaide. I don't know, some people reading. Reading is something that brings them life. And I'm thinking again, if you spend your life, you make your living reading books, maybe find something different to do. Or maybe find a different kind of book. So if you're an English teacher and you read English, I don't know, go and read Australian taxation law. I don't know, something different that brings that probably won't bring you life. But anyway, and if you're a student, we have lots of students among us here at City Light Church, North Adelaide. You know what? There is a day in the week where you can just laugh at those books that are sitting on your desk and walk away, do something that brings you life. You know what? And actually, you don't, there's, there's permission, I think, on the Sabbath actually to do nothing, to be lazy. Isn't it wonderful? Like, you can be legitimately lazy on the Sabbath. Even in the Old Testament, right, the, the land got a rest. Whenever that year came up, right, um, you, you left a field alone and you just kind of let anything come up in it. I think there's a biblical principle there, right? When it comes to rest, let anything come up as it were. Let the house get messy, Have some unstructured, unplanned time where you're not racing from one shopping centre to the next or one party to the next or one family do to the next. Um, Some of us us really need to learn how to rest. And there's a discipline involved. Be accountable to one another. We really need to be accountable to one another here. Of course, right, there may be times in your life where you have to overwork. You, You have to overwork. Um, I think it's impossible to be a professional person these days without seasons in your career where you have to burn the candles at both ends. I don't know, studying for professional exams, I don't know, as an accountant or a medical professional or setting up a business. But you need to have someone who will look you in the eye and say to you, hey, when this next two months is finished... When two years are up, you are going to have a rest, aren't you? Because you can't keep overworking. You've got to have a st- you've got to stop. You really need someone who's going to say that to you. Otherwise, you'll hurt yourself, you'll hurt others, and I think it's going to impact your relationship with God. So there's some general wisdom, right? But there's much more than simply a pattern or a rhythm to the Sabbath, although there is heaps more that I could say. Um, but the second thing to say about the Sabbath this morning is that it's not just a pattern, it's also a pledge. Uh, it was certainly for the Israelites, it was a pledge that they belonged to God, of being in fellowship with Yahweh. Uh, so if you turn forward with me, grab your Bible and, and flick forward to Exodus chapter 31, and you see this really clearly, Exodus chapter 31 and verse 12. Then the Lord said to Moses, say to the Israelites, you must observe my Sabbaths. This will be a sign between me and you for the generations to come. So you may know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. Verse 14, observe the Sabbath because it is holy to you. Anyone who desecrates it must be put to death. 
Whoever does any work on my day must be cut off from their people. That's how seriously God took this regulation under the old covenant. Anyone who desecrates the Sabbath must be put to death. Yikes. So why were the people of Israel to keep the Sabbath? Why were they to stop and rest? Well, they were to keep the Sabbath as a sign that they were holy to God, that they belonged to God, that they were the people of God, that they belonged to the God who made the world in six days and rested on the seventh. God's people were to be marked out as a people who who downed tools on the seventh day. They were marked out as that kind of people among all the peoples of the world. You know, even though everyone else's business was open 24-7, probably wasn't, but even, even while everyone else's businesses were open, theirs were closed. They stood out as God's people. They were countercultural. So the Sabbath is a sign, it's a pledge, a badge of belonging to God. And as the people of God, their identity and their significance was not bound up to the work that they did. There's an old story of a council worker, right, who was once asked, why are you digging that ditch? What are you digging that ditch for? He said, I'm digging the ditch to earn the money, to buy the food, to give me the strength to dig the ditch. In other words, I live to work. And, of course, so much of our identity is bound up with what we do. So when we introduce ourselves to others, right, first thing we looked at at the beginning of this message was, hi, how are you? We only ask that politely because we want to get to the next question, right, because we want to work out where we fit in the pecking order within this relationship. So we ask, how are you? They answer us, fine, tired, busy, good, whatever it might be. And then we say, but what, you, what do you do? It's really what we want to know because that's what really matters to us. Even our surnames reflect it that matters to us. Fisher, Butler, Baker, Cook and Smith, right? We can't get away from the fact that our identity is so often bound up with what we do. I mean, that's why unemployment can be so dehumanising. But the Sabbath for the Israelites was a weekly reminder that their identity as the people of God was not bound up with what they do, but bound up with what God had done and who he is. They were set apart for a covenant with God, a relationship with God. So just like back in Genesis chapter 1, after six days of creating the world, Genesis chapter 1, on the seventh day God rests, right? And you flick the page into Genesis chapter 2. What do you find God doing? Yahweh, what do you find him doing? He goes into the garden in the cool of the evening and who's he looking for? He's looking for Adam. He's looking for Adam. That's what we were created for, for God's company, not for the company. We were made for God's company. The chief end of man, according to the Westminster Shorter Confession, says this, it is to glorify God and enjoy him fully forever. That's what we're made for. That's what the Sabbath was for the Jews, a weekly reminder that they were the rescued, redeemed, delivered people of God. They weren't owned by their work. They were God's precious possession. Now, of course, you and I don't live under the old covenant. We're not Israelites. Not many of us are Jews. Therefore, I don't think the Sabbath regulations of the Old Testament directly apply to us as New Testament Jesus followers today. Some people do. I don't. I don't think that applies. 
But once you understand that the purpose of the Sabbath is a pledge of belonging not to your work but belonging to the living God, then the principle, yes, speaks volumes to us today. Do you agree? Volumes. Because not only should we rest because of the pattern of work and rest woven into creation, but we need to learn how to down tools, you and I, as followers of Jesus, if that's who you are today, to identify as God's people. We don't belong to our boss. We belong to God. That's why we should rest. More than that, I think there should be something distinctively Christian about our rest, something kind of Godward as opposed to it being inward. Most of us, though, and I think it's true for many of us in our church community, rest is something that is inward. Rest is about putting my feet up, uh, doing what I like. And I'm not going, this is not opposed to what I said before, you're permitted to be legitimately lazy on the Sabbath if you want to. But I think there ought to be, it it ought not to be just entirely about me or us. There's got to be something Godward about our rest, because we stop because we belong to God. That's why when Christians rest, they go to church, right? That's where the idea of a day of rest and going to church on Sunday comes from. The fact that Christians stop going to church because they're a little bit tired, I think is pretty odd, to be honest. I reckon it shows that we've actually pledged and connected ourselves to a, a godless culture, right, that sort of says, stress, it's all about you, an inward rather than belonging to people of God, outward kind of work. When Christians rest, we are to show that we belong to God through faith in Jesus Christ. That's why wherever possible, as far as it depends on you, as a matter of first priority, we come together as God's people on our day of rest. Um, George Herbert, right, in one of his great but definitely unsingable hymns, great but definitely unsingable hymns, puts it like this. The Sundays of man's life, threaded together on time and string, make bracelets to adorn the wife of the eternal glorious king. Is that how you view your Sundays? Do you prize them like bracelets that adorn the wife of the eternal King, Lord Jesus? So that each Sunday, when you wake up on Sunday, you say, thank God it's Sunday, it's the best day of the week, because a day in your courts, O God, is better than a thousand days elsewhere. A day spent with you, Lord, and your people is better than two weeks overseas, I don't know, in Singapore or New York, wherever a bunch of people I've never met before. A day in your courts is better than a thousand days elsewhere. Is that how you think about your day of rest? Is it marked by a Godwardness? Do you prize it? The, um, the Puritans, uh, the Puritans, if you don't know, were, uh, they, they love the Lord, they, they kind of got grace, they, you know, sometimes, none like all of us, didn't get it right all the time, but the Puritans back in the 16, 1700s, They called the Sabbath the market day of the soul, a day for the soul to catch up with the body. And brothers and sisters, don't we need that? I don't know about you, but my body, I feel like, is running flat out all the time and my soul is desperately trying to catch up and hang on. And yet, when I come to gather with the Lord's people on the Lord's day, singing great God songs, you know, like there's something about that that just feeds the soul. You know, the Sabbath, it's not just a hammock to swing in from between Saturday and Monday. It's a market day of the soul. 
Now, just so you don't misunderstand me, right, it doesn't have to be Sunday, of course. As Christians, we have freedom to celebrate the Sabbath on any day. But I would guess that for most of us, it's Sunday, which is why I've applied it in that way. But, you know, check out Romans 14. It's a, it's a passage that talks about this idea of different days and they should not be things that, you know, separate us or split us apart. I also don't think it means that our Sabbath day, our day of rest, needs to be spent, you know, I don't know, just constantly reading the Bible or on our knees praying or constantly singing God songs. That's not what it's about. You know, because for me, right, Sunday isn't my day off. I work pretty hard on Sundays. Normally my day off is, well, I don't really know what's going on with my day off right now. Um, I don't feel like I've had a day off for a long time. It used to be Wednesdays. This week it was Friday. Let me tell you what I did on Friday. Um, I woke up and the principle of Godwardness is what I seek to apply to my Sabbath rest each week. I don't pull it off perfectly, right? But I want to start my day portion of that day at least in devotion in delighting in God in thankfulness for his choosing me in thankfulness for his saving me redeeming me and making me more like Jesus and including me and his family one of his kids that's what I want to do because contained in this command is a pledge of our fellowship to him our belonging to him so I want part of my rest to reflect that so it's a pattern it's a pledge It's also a place. As I promised at the beginning, they're kind of getting shorter. So keep going with me. It's a place. Some of you will know that Exodus chapter 20 isn't the only place you'll find in the Bible where the Ten Commandments are listed. Um, Jump ahead and you can find it in Deuteronomy chapter 5. When you land in Deuteronomy chapter 5, it actually says something slightly different to Exodus chapter 20. Um, Instead of saying in Exodus chapter 20 where it says... um, observe the Sabbath because of creation, because God made the world and everything in it in six days and then rested on the seventh. In Deuteronomy 5, it says, remember the Sabbath, keep it holy. Why? Because you were slaves in Egypt and the Lord has brought you out. Now, they're saying two different things, yeah? I don't think there's a massive difference though, right? So if you flick back a little bit in your mind, at least, to Genesis chapter 1. In Genesis, again, where do we arrive on the seventh day? Where do we end up on the seventh day of creation? So in Genesis 1, you've got all these days of creation. God made this. It was evening. God said it was good. The day ends. Next day, you know, God makes some stuff. said it was good. Each of these days end. Where do we end up on day seven? Well, You get to the seventh day in chapter 2 of Genesis. Interesting. Now, the chapters and the verse numbers were put in by the editors of the Bible, but I think putting the seventh day into chapter 2 means the editors knew something important, believed something important about this day of rest. Because what is chapter 2 of Genesis all about? It's all about the Garden of Eden. The rest that God enters into is the Garden. You see, this rest isn't just a time in the week. It's a place on the planet. And what is the book of Deuteronomy all about? It's about God who has rescued his people out of slavery and oppression in Egypt and was about to lead them into the promised land of Canaan. They didn't belong in slavery. So God mercifully brought them to a land flowing with milk and honey, a garden, a paradise, if you like. 
In fact, if you read Deuteronomy, you'll be amazed at the parallels between the Garden of Eden and the Promised Land that run through all this work. It's incredible. Um, Deuteronomy 12 verse 8 describes that the Promised Land as a resting place. Um, verse, chapter 12, verse 10, it's a place where God's people will rest from all their enemies. Chapter 12, verse 11, it's a place where God will dwell among his people. Do you see what this means? Sabbath is also a place. It speaks of a paradise which was lost in slavery but will be regained because of the grace and mercy of God. It reminds me of of Revelation chapter 21, that wonderful passage right at the end of the Bible. I want to read it to you. It pretty much brings me to tears every time. But because of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, his work of redemption, restoring all that has been broken in the world, there's coming a place where we will be with God and enjoy him forever. That place promised in Deuteronomy, this land, a resting place, no enemies and where God will dwell with us. Listen to this, Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with people. And he will live with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. And get this, verse 4. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more enemies, no more death, no mourning, no crying, no pain. For the old order of things has passed away. Amen? That's what this rest is all about. And that's what leads us to the fourth P, that Sabbath is a person. Without this person, that promise, Revelation 21, can't happen. But he's come, right? Rest in the Bible is much better than simply stopping work when you're tired. Much bigger than a pattern, bigger than a pledge, even bigger than a play. Sabbath rest is about a person. It's about Jesus. What does it mean to be a Christian? Well, to be a Christian is someone who says, I rest not on my own efforts, my own work, my own labours. I rest on the work of Jesus. I rest on his finished work because all my works are filthy rags. And when I do rest on the finished work of Jesus, God looks at me and what he sees is Jesus in whom I rest. He sees the perfect obedience of Jesus and he says, that's good. That's very good. I delight in that. That's why the Sabbath is not just a pattern, not just a pledge, not just a place. The Sabbath is a person. It's a relationship with the one who came from glory into our broken world and said, Matthew 11, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. St. Augustine says, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Augustine's talking about Jesus. My heart is restless. Your heart is restless. Our works are never finished. There's always more to do, more to achieve, more to merit. And yet Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest. 
Sabbath is fundamentally a relationship with a person, with a person who said, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. We heard that earlier in Mark chapter 2. How do you keep this commandment? You trust in Jesus. You say you lay down your tools and you trust Christ. You know, when Jesus said that he wasn't throwing out all the Sabbath regulations of the old covenant as Moses had prescribed, as if the the Sabbath were no longer applicable to be a Christian, he doesn't say that at all. It may be that the way the regulations are written don't automatically apply to us in this new age of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. But when Jesus says, I am the Lord of the Sabbath, he's saying, I'm what the Sabbath is all about. I am the Sabbath. I am rest. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Lay down your tools and I will bring deep rest for your soul. Come to me and every day will be Sabbath. I really find it interesting, right? When you read the Gospels, and if you haven't read the Gospels before, let me strongly encourage you to do that. When you read the Gospels, these biographies of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, what do you find Jesus doing? He's healing a lot of people on the Sabbath. On this day, right, where if you didn't keep it, you're meant to be, like, gone, obliterated. Of course, that meant, right, that Jesus got heaps and heaps and heaps of pushback from the religious leaders of the day. Now, Jesus didn't heal simply on the Sabbath to create controversy. It wasn't like Jesus was walking around going, who can I pick a fight with today? Where can I create some buzz and get the media around me and get people Facebooking about me? You know, Jesus wasn't into that. Jesus healed people on the Sabbath because he wanted to show us that God wants to bring us healing and restoration and life and rest And until you come to Jesus and find that rest, you will always be working. You'll always be in Egypt. You'll always be a slave. A slave to our own unattainable expectations. A slave to our boss. A slave to our family. A slave to the culture around us. You'll never be able to put your work down. There will always be more to do, more to prove. But come to Jesus and every day will be Sabbath rest so christian brothers and sisters when you do rest one day in seven which i believe is still the wise and godly thing for us to do don't rest like the world rests whenever our world stops and rests it's always spoiled right by the panic of monday you know it's just around the corner don't rest like that Every time we down tools, we ought to be, it ought to be a reminder to us of the fact that our rest and our satisfaction is found in God, not in our work, but in the finished work of Christ. And when you come to Jesus, it's always Sunday, never Monday. Not only that, but almost lastly and very briefly, the Sabbath is also a promise of the future. The Sabbath is um, a pattern, it's a pledge. It's a place, it's a person, it's also a promise. In Hebrews chapter 4, we don't have time to get to Hebrews chapter 4 today, but the author tells us there that there's a day of rest that remains for the people of God. This world, you would agree, is far from a land flowing with milk and honey. It's a broken world of thorns and thistles and hardness and difficulty. But paradise lost will be restored. 
When Jesus returns, Revelation 21 will be reality for us. The new heavens and the new earth will come. We will be with God forever and there will be no enemies, no no crying, no pain, no mourning, no sadness. When it happens, when God recreates the heavens and the earth, it will be forever Sunday and never Monday. How do you enter that rest? Well, the author of Hebrews puts it very clearly, by hearing God's voice. My translation, by believing in Jesus. By resting in Christ, by becoming a Christian. And when you do that, your rest is assured both now and forever. Have you done that? Have you trusted Christ? I must finish. I learned recently, um, whilst reading a book by a guy named Abraham Joseph Heschel, simply called The Sabbath, uh, that Jewish fathers, um, on the morning of the Sabbath, uh, would give their children um, a spoonful of honey. Um, I'm not that old, so I won't give Tran a spoonful of this just yet. But they'd give their, their sons, their sons and daughters, a spoonful of honey. Why? The idea was really simple, right? That they would always remember the sweetness of the Sabbath for the rest of their lives. And I'm thinking for the Jackson Five, for my family, that means that Sabbath might just well involve, we haven't started doing it yet, but upon reading this, I think what our Sabbath might involve is making a giant stack of pancakes and putting on top of that copious amounts of maple syrup And then as a family, gather around that stack of pancakes and just hoe in and enjoy it and delight in it. Why would we do this? Why would I start a tradition like that? Because I want Adele, my wife, and my three children to always know that the Sabbath is sweet. It's so sweet. And I hope that long after I'm gone and well dead, that my kids, as they grow up to be adults, whenever they hear the word Sabbath, their lips will start salivating. Because of all that it means, the sweetness of rescue from sin, the sweetness of relationship with the living God, and the sweetness of life forever with the God who made us. Sabbath is all about delighting in God, to delight in life. Brothers and sisters, let's let's remember we're no longer slaves. We're no longer what Dr. Littman thinks we're all problem, what we're all struggling with, that we're all slaves. We're free now and forevermore. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the hope of your eternal rest. Lord, I pray for myself and I pray for my brothers and sisters this morning that you would keep us in this hope that we've grasped and help us to delight in you. Thank you that through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, every day is Sabbath because we can rest in you knowing that we are loved and cherished and held onto by you this day and forevermore. Lord, we pray that you would speed on the return of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, so that we may step into that new creation, the new heavens and the new earth where you'll be with us and we will enjoy you forever. Father, help us to live lives in a way that delight in you for the good of our lives, for the good of those around us, and for your honour and glory. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from City Light Church, North Adelaide. We hope you found it helpful and we'd love for you to share this message with others. For more great content, more information about City Light Church, or to donate to the work of City Light Church, North Adelaide, visit us at citylight.church slash North Adelaide.